You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We uh, conclude this long collection today. This is the 20th week in this collection from here to there and back again. I feel like we should have a barbecue party out for the back and like, hey, no, like as I always say, I don't know if you're like, oh, no, man, I'm, I'm sad it's over. I'm boy, I'm glad we can move on. We begin a, a new collection called The Sound of Silence uh, coming up and uh, many different aspects of silence in the Bible. It's fascinating. It's powerful. So we uh, so we we finished this with prayer. Speaking of prayer prayer. Uh, we, we, there are so many things that could be said about prayer. There's so many uh, angles about prayer, but I wanted to end looking through these lenses of from here to there and back again. So in the early mornings, I, uh, I work out at this place outside and I have to, in order to get there, and I leave pretty early in the morning, by the time I finish, it's still dark. And so when I go, it's, I have to go through this construction site. And this feels like it has been under construction, oh my goodness, for six months. And I'm like, even me, which, you know, I know which end to hold the hammer. I feel like getting out. I'm like, yeah, I need some help, you know, to kind of move this thing along. And, uh, and, and it's a rugged, like when you're dr- driving through, man, your car is just going like this. So when I'm going from here to there, I know what back again is going to mean. Back again is for me to go to the car repair shop and get an alignment on my, on my uh, tires and my wheels. Is it tires or wheels that get aligned? Is it? Help me out. What? Okay, wills. Thank. All right, thank you so much. Um, you know, so uh, so I uh, all this construction site reminded me that life is a construction site. That we're being bumped around. There's potholes. There's things that every single day, as soon as you walk out the door. And I'm going to go a little bit deep here at the beginning for those especially that are new to the faith of Christianity. We are when we are when we sign up for Jesus and we say, I want you to have my old life and I want your new one. And there's a a supernatural exchange. We trust Christ for our relationship with God. We no longer trust ourselves. In other words, human beings can trust in a lot of things when you ask an, uh, the average person on the street, hey, are you okay with God? Are you right with God? And what makes you that way? They'll say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, I, I, you know, I obey the golden rule. Uh, there are Ten Commandments. I try to do my best. I cut my neighbor's yard. Uh, all of it really comes back to my behavior. And that behavior, then we're trusting on that behavior to be okay with God. The problem is, you don't know how good that behavior needs to be. You know, so there's there are certain plans and programs and education system like you at least at least you need at least a C to get by. So what if you stand before God and you're a C minus? Dang it. That didn't you know that wasn't good enough. Well, you don't want to wait until then to find out when you're standing before God if you really mowed enough of your neighbor's grass or you had enough pure thoughts or your pure thoughts outweighed your impure thoughts or your your good side outweighed your bad side right so that's not how God operates God operates in such a way that he knew that no matter what grade we got we're still imperfect see God is absolutely pristinely perfect and those two don't match up for that reason God said let me take care of what you can't take care of You are a broken sinner, and it's part of the system. And I know this is heavy. 
But when Adam and Eve sinned, it became nuclear. Out of every human being, we have in ourselves this nature, this condition, this disease. It's called sinful nature. How do we know that? How do you do Is this a theological thing? No, it's as simple as having a child. And if anyone in the room has ever had a two-year-old, you know they don't have a manual of how to sin, right? How to be selfish. It's just part of our nature. The Bible calls it our sinful nature or our human nature. Christ knew that. And there's no amount of religion. There's no amount of good behavior that will outweigh that it's as if we're bobbing up and down in the Pacific Ocean and we'll try to save ourselves from drowning. It's impossible. So someone has to throw us a lifeline. And God threw us a lifeline in his son Jesus that we might hold on to him because he substituted himself on a cross instead of us. And he makes us perfect, righteous before God, not because of what we did, because we're clinging on to him, trusting in him and his blood that was shed on the cross. Now, again, for you that may be new to you, like, man, that is crazy, but it's crazy good. You have to admit it's crazy good because you will never from from the moment that you trust in Christ, you will never from the rest of your life ever wonder if you're right with God or not because it's not depending on your ups and downs like the stock market. This is a universal sign for stock market if you didn't know it. And it's universal, come on, for your behavior. It's universal for your construction site that you live through every day. As soon as we make that move, that move of trust, that move of faith, we think, oh man, everything is smooth selling. The pavement will be smooth. There will be no potholes. There will be no auto accidents. There will be nothing but clear sailing. Well, it would be cool if that were the case. But we literally enter, okay? This is where we're going to get a little heavy. We literally enter a spiritual battle. There are three things that we battle. Number one is that sinful nature. It just doesn't go away. The Spirit of God fills us, but we have to tap in and surrender to the Spirit of God. And what Billy, as Billy Graham said, whatever nature we feed is the nature that will be healthy. If we feed that sinful nature, even with Christ living in us, then that's the nature that's going to be floating to the top. So, number one, this, this nature. Number two, the culture around us that is an undertow like in the ocean. And number three, we have a spiritual realm of darkness. Heavy, I know. Spiritual realm of darkness. So those three things are coming together. And so when we are, so we are in desperate need of connecting to God through prayer. Let me let me highlight if I had a little highlighter like connecting with God and prayer. I'm not saying saying prayers, saying prayers. Prayer is not saying prayers. Jesus said it in in uh, in Matthew chapter five when he's talking about prayer. It's like, hey, don't just keep repeating the same thing over and over and over and think, hey, God's cool with that. I mean, are you? Just should I go home this afternoon to my wife? I love you. 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 Like he really loves me. 
Because he said it 18 times over and over. Like God, like, hey, can we just get real? Can we connect? See, prayer is relational connection, communication with God from and to, just like you'd have any kind of relationship. So as we are going through our construction site, as you go through your construction site this afternoon, this week, you need an alignment. And today we talk about that. Why is prayer important? For one reason. And I mean, there's a million reasons. I'm just saying we're going to talk about one of the million reasons why prayer is important. And be very specific. As we go from here to there, we must come back again to prayer. Jesus did this all the time. We're going to look in Mark chapter 1. And there's an interesting context to when Jesus prayed. We're told that Jesus prayed frequently. He came into the car shop frequently to realign his wheels, to realign his car. Because I don't know if, well, you probably know. I was going to say, if you don't know, of course you know. When you're driving a car that's misaligned, what's happening? It's always veering. And because it's veering, watch this. When your car is veering and it's really out of line, you're misaligned, what do you have to do? You have to grip the steering wheel harder. It's a hassle, right? Now you're driving more rather than when you first get your car aligned. Dude, it's like you can go down the highway and you kind of like test it out. You know, now I'm not saying do this at home, especially to my son. Do not do this at home. <laughs> you just test it out, let go because the car is almost driving itself because of the alignment. But see, when you're misaligned, now you have to grip the, the, the wheel harder. My worst moments, your worst moments is when our car is misaligned with God and now we're having to put a lot of effort into trying to keep the thing on tact in the road rather than like, God, I'm going to recalibrate and I'm going to be tapping into your power to realign my condition, to realign my selfishness because I wish like crazy that I could come to Christ, exchange my old life for his new one, like I just described, and then like, whoo, I'm aligned for the rest of my life. That'd be amazing. I don't know why it doesn't work that way, but it, it doesn't work that way. When I first became a Christian, I was in a group that said that they believed that the Holy Spirit could take away the sinful nature. I'm like, dude, I'm all down for that. <laughs> Man, that, that would be like a permanent alignment. And then about the day after that, I'm like, mm, I wonder why that happened then. And I wonder why that happened next week. Because it will always be part of the wrestling. If you want to read Romans chapter 7, it would be a good place to start if you're looking in the Bible. Now watch this. Mark chapter 1. Super interesting. I want you to notice when Jesus prayed. Watch this. Jesus is going into the town. That later that evening, Mark 1.32, that evening after sunset, we'll come back to that, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Already, that's a construction site. That's a heavy, those are deep potholes. Now, you face the same thing. You just may not be aware of it. It's out there. And it's, 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 you live in this realm. 
whether you know it or not, whether, you know, it's like carbon monoxide. Whether you know it or not, it'll kill you. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. This is, this is deep, deep hard work. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. That ends in verse 34. In verse 35, the very next words are, very early in the morning because he was on the hills of great construction. Construction site, potholes, difficulty, challenges. So even the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus, God himself, is connecting with the Father because he, watch, is in between crazy. He's in between crazy. It's been a pretty crazy day, and you notice they came after, after sunset. So it's been a long day. So very early in the morning, he's like, man, I, before crazy starts again, I must recalibrate my heart. It's why Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Got to align. Got to get it. Got to get it aligned. Very early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, drove before he drove through the construction site, left the house, went off to a solitary place. It's important, not just prayer at the dinner table, breakfast table. It's great, keep doing it, but a solitary place where he prayed, where he communicated relationally with his Father. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found them, they say they said to him, the crazy is about to start again. Everybody's looking for you. This is no different than your life. For those of you that have kids, it's already been crazy this morning. I know it. Somebody, you know, swallowed something they shouldn't have swallowed. Somebody's punched somebody they shouldn't have punched. Somebody spilt or threw up in the car. I mean, it's crazy, right? And that's all that you can see. There's crazy happening behind the scenes that you didn't even know. Things that are like tempting you and wrestling with you for not to even be here today. Maybe you had an argument with your wife. And so you think it's just an argument with your wife. Wake up. All these things that we're seeing are a battle, listen, for your soul and a battle for your relationship with God just to get you off. So you got to grip that wheel a little bit more. Don't be fooled that we only live in a physical world. We don't. Jesus, when he's healing sickness that you can't see on the outside, Jesus is casting out demons that you can't see on the outside. You see symptoms of them, but this was the real deal. Now watch Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Yet the news of him spread all the more. So the crazy went up, so the crowds of people came to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. There it is again. And he communicated with the Father. How often does your, the wills of your soul need aligned and realigned and recalibrated? Often. Often. 
We're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 17, pray without ceasing. My, one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, I heard him speak about prayer this week. He said, sometimes people pray like the national anthem. You know, you don't go to a football game for the national anthem. You respect the national anthem, but it's not the main deal. So let's do it. Let's respect it. Let's get it out of the way so we can get on with it. And sometimes we, we treat prayer that way. Hey, we respect it. We know it's important, but it's not the important thing. So I'm going to do it because if I don't, I feel bad. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get the national anthem out of the way. And then I'm going to go about my business. You see, what, what we're being told by the scripture is, no, it is your business. It is your part of your life. It is like a, a lifestyle, a culture of praying. For whatever reason, I wake up at three in the morning these days, just, just like that, three in the morning. So I'm just praying. And uh, it's, super, it's super like perfect timing. Everybody's sleeping and, you know, and it's solitary. And I'm like, what else am I going to do? I'm not going to watch TV at three in the morning. But see, what God is calling me to in those hours, and I feel that in those hours, God speaks to me more than any other time because there is no crazy. That's why Jesus did it in a solitary way. It's why you've got to find a place. I don't care if you have 18 kids at home. You've got to find a solitary place, your place with you and God. Your place with you and the Father, just like Jesus did. So we see that Jesus prays often. Some people not only look at it like the national anthem, but come on, they look at it like a parachute. That I will pray when the plane is going down. And uh, sometimes that plane gets awful close to the ground before you yank that cord of the parachute. Or maybe you look at it instead of allowing God to drive maybe like it's just i'm just got the key and prayer starts my day and then i i drive even though it's misaligned i'm gonna drive or i'm just gonna call on god when the, i have a flat tire and it's so god's kind of like a spare tire prayer is like a spare tire now there's two things i want to talk to you about this morning because again this, this is such a broad broad topic of prayer and sometimes you know i'm 63 now and been in the been in the church culture for a number of decades and sometimes i just like to stand back and just kind of take that bigger picture shot and say hey what are some of the things that we wrestle with whether it's the spiritual world trying to draw us away it's our own nature drawing us away it's the culture around us drawing us away and two things really kind of floated to the top. By all means, this is not exhaustive, okay? But sometimes it's just like, hey, here are the things that we notice that we, all, uh, all of us, we wrestle with. In our American culture, as you know, I'm, I'm intensely involved around the world. If I were speaking in Africa today, I would be speaking about what one of my dear friends Cause the ancient paths, they wrestle with the ancient paths. What do I mean by that? Traditions that are so immoral, it would, it would make your jaw drop right now. If I told you in some traditions what a young man has to do before his marriage night, you'd be like, you gotta be kidding me. We're not wrestling with that. Okay. So it's contextual here to 
Christians who are living in the U.S. Okay, here are the two things I notice that I believe are generated. These wrestlings are generated by our own sinful nature, by the culture around us, and by the, the spiritual darkness. Their individualism uh, would be number one, and convenience would be number two. I believe as American Christians, those are two of the things, not the only two things, but just in my dealings as a pastor, I see these things. And I believe that they can be recalibrated. Why would we pick these two things? First of all, we see a pattern of it. Second of all, I believe that these two things for the American church are, are two of the greatest things that are hindering the advancement of the kingdom of God. So let's begin by talking about individualism. So when you look at individualism and Jesus in the context of prayer, the disciples saw that he prayed all the time. So they said, hey, can you teach us how to pray? Now, be careful. He didn't say, say this prayer, as we know as the Lord's Prayer, right? He said, pray something like this. And we're going to give you a template, all right? And the first words of what we know as the Lord's Prayer are what? Our Father. And the first word is our, not my. So when Jesus begins, let me teach you how to pray. We're going to be equalized here before the Father. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, then this is how you should pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. In other words, as we're going to God, there's something that happens that we recognize if you're really sincere and serious before God and you come to God, you recognize that we are an hour. It's not just a me. And I say that because you're like, okay, duh, right? But not so duh because my observation is that even in prayer, it can be about me, my family, protect this, give me this, blah, 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 and, and be kind of, and then, oh yeah, and grandma, you know, then I'm, I'm done, right? Rather than, hey, we're, we are equalized. Now, let me get over the obvious. We're equalized because we're all sinners, right? We're all broken. We're all imperfect. So that's, that's something that we're reminded in prayer, like forgive us our trespasses, right? As we forgive those who trespass against us. It's a big hour, right? So we, we recognize that. So when we're reading this passage, we're like, hey, I know, I know that we're all sinners. Number two, God loves us all equally, right? He didn't love you any more or less than he does me, right? So equally. But I believe, the, so that requires, doesn't require a lot of muscle. Here's what the muscle is required, okay? And the recalibration. The recalibration is, God, help me to be an hour, our life. Let me not be so individualistic that it's got to be my way. Listen, in your family, Ephesians chapter 5, when it begins to speak, when the Bible begins to speak about marriage, it begins with this, submit one to another. Submit one to another. So in your, as you get married, we're, my wife and I, in a couple months, 27 years of marriage. And so when we, 27 years of marriage, you learn it's not all going to be your way. Right? It's pretty obvious. And she's still learning that. So, just kidding. (laughs) 
It's give and take and give and take. And it's not so marriage. Listen, is not. can you be individualistic? Sure. You like red. I like green. You like chocolate. I like strawberry. Whatever. OK, so we're not trying to say, you know, Christianity is communistic where we're all going to wear the same color. Not saying that. But when it comes to your family, there are moments that either husband or wife are sometimes so individualistic that you're wrecking your home. God, help me to chisel that in prayer. Help me to say, God, it's an our marriage. It's an our family. So we sh- we're sharing cars right now. Okay? S- seat forward, seat back. Seat up, seat down. I was steering wheel up, steering wheel up. And don't touch my vents. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I like the vents right on me because I, I want my hair to flow, you know? That ain't happening. So... I get in, I'm like, ah, somebody touched my life. And you know, recently two words have been coming to my family life. It's a beautiful thing because family life teaches us it's an hour deal. It's the same thing where you work. It's the same thing where you live. I got a really strict HOA in my, it's a little over the top. We just got a list of trees and plants you can't have in our, you know, so because they want it to look uniform. It's the same thing in the church world. We talked last week. Are you playing just you know league football? Or are you playing local team? In a local church, it's a lot about our look. Breaking news: we can't do it all your way. We can't do it that. This here's here's the plan. Here's the huddle. You got leaders. You got to have leaders. You got to have a quarterback. I wanted to play quarterback. Well, you're not playing quarterback, okay? So, you know, so we're in a huddle. This is the plan. This is the plan. It's an hour plan. This is the best plan in the universe. Probably not. But if we had an organization, a neighborhood, a family, a local church where everybody gets to do what they want, you know what they call that? Crazy. (laughs) Call that a construction site. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, Peter and John had just been released from prison for speaking the truth. Now watch this. I've highlighted some words. Acts 4, 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, don't overlook the fact that the kingdom of God was being advanced with confidence and boldness because of they and all. It's a big deal. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And I recognize fully the context as they were given their stuff, right? They were given their material goods. But you could look at their possessions, see, because I possess an opinion, I possess a preference. So when we look at that, no one claimed that his preference, that his opinion, that his position, that his previous church experience, that whatever that is, was his own. Because it's an our movement. And listen, unless it's an our movement, then we're going to be doing this and holding the wheel unless we get in prayer and say, God, make me an our Christian. Let me, let me, because man, when you're, when you say, God, let me align here. Okay. Let me align with, 
you know, hey, we have connect groups. Great, let's do connect groups. So I think they should be called connection groups. Awesome, start your own church. <laughs> that wasn't nice, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. I just... Philipp- Philippians chapter 2. And look, you know what? This is hard work, isn't it? This is hard work. I have strong opinions about things, and you do too, right? I think some things should work better in my neighborhood. I, you know, we have a gate. It's stupid. <laughs> a gate is stupid, unless you got a guard at the gate, right? So you got people all the time. This morning, we're taking a walk early this morning, and we see an Amazon truck sitting there. He couldn't get in the gate. So guess what? I let him in the gate. So, you know, any rate. <laughs> so I don't want the gate. But guess what? We got a game. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. Be like-minded. Having the same love. Okay, got that. Being of one in spirit. Good. Being one in purpose. That's a little bit difficult. Do nothing just because you want it. Out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here's the work in prayer, but in humility. Consider others better. Than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own opinions, interests, preferences, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude, your mindset should be the same that of Christ Jesus. I have to say this. Then when I close my eyes, and I had this exercise with my wife, close your eyes and think of the most some of the most seasoned believers that you know. Seasoned Christians. Humility is part of that life. And in every case, there were three names in my in our own local church that just came kind of came to the top. And all of them are very hour-centric. Very hour-centric. Children want their own way. Um, when it comes to prayer, before we leave this particular topic of individualism, and I know it's difficult. It's challenging because of our own sinful stuff, right? We want our own way. It's challenging because the culture teaches us, hey, you should have your own way. And of course, the darkness, you know, it's like, hey, have your own way. That was that was Lucifer's downfall. A guy named Ian Bounds, he is one of the most prolific writers on prayer. He writes this, prayer positions a person to receive the mind of Christ. So incredible. It positions us to say, because we just said, let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So it positions us to say, let me have the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service. And then he says, if we really pray, we will become more like Christ. So I thought of my construction site. And if I go over to the construction site and pick up a shovel today, doesn't mean a thing. You have to put that shovel to work. You see, I think the invitation for us is to pray, but to really pray. What do I mean by that? God, uh, sometimes I get my opinion so strong with it's, it's my family, my work, my neighborhood, my church, whatever. I'm here, God, for you to chisel. 
take that shovel and dig and dig and dig and allow God to recalibrate. Here's the second thing. We won't spend as much time on it. Convenience. Individuals and convenience. In good conscience, if I were honest, no offense because I include myself here. In, in good conscience, I couldn't talk to us as American Christians about suffering for our faith. Because it's pretty rare. In other words, I'm looking at common patterns that we all face, right? And as Christians living in this country, we, we're, I'm not going to get fear, have fear that I'm going to get beat up. I spoke to three or four people this week that by their faith, they could get beaten very badly and put in prison, executed. I, there's one connection we have. I've never spoken to you about it, and I'm not allowed. That lives in a part of the country a part of the world where if they knew what he was doing, he would be executed without a trial. But, and that doesn't make them better than us or whatnot. So I'm not saying, oh, look at us. We're just, you know, uh, no good Americans. Not at all. What I am saying, let's identify the real problem. And living in a culture of comfort, Inconvenience is a real struggle. Inconvenience for Jesus, for our faith. The inconvenience of our time. Many people, oh, I don't have time to disciple anybody. It was the command of Jesus. There was no exemptions. If you have time, go into all the world and make disciples. Really? That must be a different version of the Bible. In other words, Jesus made time at the most inconvenient Places and times. Giving first to God and by faith allowing him to fill in the gaps is inconvenient. I have one kid in college and one kid that's that's going into college. And, you know, this economy, hey, that's tough. So my wife will be out front selling seashells after the service. <laughs> it's tough. But that does not trump our joy in saying God first. God first. Inconvenience my bank account. Inconvenience the things that we can do as all of our lives. You know, other kids got this, other kids got that. I understand. But our home is putting God first. And for that reason, we're going to be inconvenienced of the things that we can do and the things that we can buy. You see, the Bible is black and white. It's not just all conceptual. Where does it hit you, the convenience? Today, I'm waking up. I'll go to church or I'll go to the beach. Or I'll go, what's convenient to me? Jesus say, inconvenience yourself for me. And when we go to prayer, and if you're really praying and really working at it, God, I thank you for stepping out of the pristine perfection of heaven to walk in our dirt, to inconvenience and suffer for us. Then how could I not be inconvenienced for my Savior the rest of the day? You see, that's the recalibration because our culture says it's all about your convenience. I remind you, I grew up in the 60s where you actually put a needle on an LP and when you were sitting on the couch and you didn't like the third song, like, hey, dude, you're going to get up and change that? Mm -mm, nah, me neither. So you listen to the whole album. 
Now I'm like, don't like that song, Bloom Bump. So when we first planted 360, I was working as a substitute teacher a lot over here at Riverview. And it, as a musician, it drove me crazy. This is how this is how the younger generation listens to a song. I'm like, can we listen at least to 30 seconds of one song? We have convenience at our fingertips. But our faith is not that way. Watch this. It's crazy. We're gonna go, we're gonna circle back to Mark chapter one. And just put yourself in the reality, not just the story. Watch this. That evening, after sunset, okay, it's nighttime. It's been a long day. At nighttime, after sunset, okay, the people brought to Jesus a few sick people. Nope. All of them. I mean, could we ration this out a little bit? I mean, you remember the woman at the well when Jesus encountered her? You remember why he sat at the, down at the well? Did anybody remember? He was tired. He was fully God, but fully man. He was tired, dude. It's after sunset. I like to watch the news after sunset. I like to sit in my reclining couch after sunset. But now he got the whole dang town coming to him, all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. Thank you. That is so convenient. It's a perfect time because, I mean, what am I doing the rest of the night? And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. He would not let the demons speak because he knew who they were, right? Next morning, he prays now, very early in the morning. While still dark, Jesus got left the house, went to a solitary place, prayed. Simon's convenience went to look for him. Then they found him. They explained, hey, everybody's looking for you again. Not convenient. Trying to pray here. It is never convenient when God calls you. Watch this. Elizabeth Elliot wrote these words, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 4, God, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Mark 1, let me just review this. The whole town gathered at the door. The world is gathering at your door. Are you ready? Unannounced. Unannounced. God calls you to something today. Unannounced. Let's arrange our souls, recalibrate our lives around his program and then fit yours in rather than we're going to arrange our whole lives around our schedule, our finances, our open slots, and then fit God in because God is always coming unannounced. My, my father was a good, good old Southern man. And uh, in that's culture, you never came to anybody's door without calling them first. You never came unannounced. And uh, so on Christmas morning one time, the doorbell rang. 
And our first thought is, something's wrong. Because in the South, nobody's doing that that knows anything about the South. You do not ring the doorbell. And it's Christmas morning. Well, it was the Paines, Mr. and Mrs. Payne. I think Mr. Payne slept in a tie. He was always formal. My dad was not formal. I, I can't remember seeing my dad in a tie a lot. My dad didn't have a wristwatch. He wore shorts sometimes, most of the time. So he was relaxed. Doorbell rings, Christmas morning. It's the pains. I mean, it's like, it's the pains. It's the pains unannounced. What are they thinking? Then we're having this conversation, you know, before the door opens. What are they thinking? This makes no sense at all because that's how unannounced stuff does. I don't know if you remember those things, those chairs that had kind of a metal circle loop and then the cloth attaches to it, you know, so you're kind of sitting in the cloth, you know what I mean? It's like canvas. So we had one of those and my, my mom, because it was Christmas morning and nobody was coming to the house, but you just clean the house for Christmas or whatever, read a Santa Claus or whatever. So she had taken that off and washed it. And then to dry it, she didn't attach it. She just laid it over the loop. You know where I'm going. <laughs> the, plane, the pains came in. My dad was flustered. He wasn't, a, he wasn't an elegant man. He wasn't a you know, highly sophisticated man. Hey, come on in. Can we get you a snack? You know, you wanna, you know, he was just got all over himself. And he goes, hey, here, have a seat on the sofa in the living room in the south. No one sat on the living room. I don't even know why we had one. But, you know, come on in. Just for guests. You know, come on in. So, hey, let's get him some eggnog, right? And he, he went into that thing and... <laughs> And his legs just went right up on the thing, and he was stuck. I'm like, this is the best Christmas gift I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> and you know, you, if you laugh, you're going to get in big trouble. So you're like... <laughs> I face it every day. You face it every day. The unannounced Mr. and Mrs. Payne are standing at your door. And unless we allow God to say, God, you're first. You're first. And I'm second. I'm second to everybody. I'm second to the team. I'm second to my, to my family because it's an hour thing. And God, I, I pray, I dare you to pray this. God, I am asking you to inconvenience me today. And you watch how straight that car drives. Because God is waiting on you. He's waiting on those that will pray that prayer. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for the power, the recalibrating power of prayer. I'm convinced, God, anymore that we're not necessarily changed by a sermon or a book or an audio, certainly, that can spark us to think. But not only until that moment, that solitary moment, where you, you illuminate some things, you put the light on some things. Okay, I got some construction realignment to do. Even in the quietness of this moment, God, you may be speaking to us, but it's after we get home. We've got to find that quiet, solitary place. 
for those that would invite you, Father, to say, I invite you to inconvenience me. That's a bold prayer, living in a very convenienced culture. I invite you, God, to chisel away, not at my individuality, my uniqueness, my distinctions, but my individualism versus a collectivism, a collective feel, a family, neighborhood, work, church. Chisel away those edges that somehow got to have it my way. Thank you for the power of prayer, God. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Now, before we close, God, we do pray for those who are searching for you. Maybe they're at home right now. Maybe they're sitting in a car listening. Maybe they're in this room. So clearly we saw today how you loved us, and it's not depending on our goodness, our better behavior, our changed behavior, because God will never know if we got it good enough. That's why your son did. In all your greatness, great in compassion, great in love, you gave us your boy, your son. Thank you. We pray together. We pray, Father, that you would just reveal, continue to reveal yourself, and we pray for those who are searching for you. And if you're here searching, if you're at home searching, If you're listening at work, searching right now, listen to me. Listen really clearly. God loves you more deeply. His love is more greatly than you could, great than you could ever, ever imagine. He's calling you to know him. But you can't know him without being recalibrated in your soul by Jesus Christ. By not depending on one ounce of religion, one ounce of church, one ounce of Behavior change. Don't depend on that one single ounce, but depend 100% on Jesus Christ, his son, the Messiah, the perfect lamb of God who died on a cross for your sin, who broke his body, shed his blood, that you could come open with your palms open to him and say, look, God, I'm, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. And I'm changing the direction of my life. I'm pointing it towards you. And the life I'm living right now, God, I'm turning it in. I'm exchanging it. My old life for your new one. Would that be your prayer? Maybe it's super simple. God, I trust in Christ for the forgiveness of all my sin. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. I trust in Christ to make me right before you. And I want to be your child. Is that your prayer? Oh, speak to him now. Let him have your soul. Let him have your heart. Let him have your life. You'll never be sorry. How long are you going to hold on to that wheel? Let God have it. God, you can have my life right now. I want you in my life. Ignite. Would you ignite? Bring about new life in me. Oh, he's waiting for you. Our God, we end this time together as we begin. You are great. You are great in love, compassion, 
but you're great in power, God, recalibrating those things in our lives that we couldn't stand a shot at doing. So we come before you frequently because, God, we are living in a, in a construction site. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.